Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, last week we uh, launched our new series called Viewmaster, and we said that each week of this series we're going to take a view of someone who had a view of Jesus through the book of Luke. And so last week was the uh, beggar, the blind beggar. And we said that when he saw Jesus or when Jesus came his way and he heard Jesus was coming, he knew that hope was on its way. And as we unpacked that, we said that, you know, hope is found in Christ. We can't put our hope in, in anything else as we're finding out, frankly, in, in our world right now, but we can put our hope in Christ because he's the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. And we also had an object lesson at the end saying, using Legos, and we took these Legos and we said, a Lego by itself is kind of pointless. Actually, we lose it, uh, we step on it, uh, but when we put a bunch of Legos together, we can make something powerful and beautiful. And we said, that's how we can be as the church, as the body of Christ. And so if you uh, did not put your Lego together, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Take a picture of it, tag uh, that on social media at the Valley Church. And uh, we just want to be the hope in the world. As we come together during this season, think of ways that you can make a difference in your neighborhood, in your community. We're going to continue to put things out there as as the way we as the Valley Church are going to be helping to be hope in our region. We're already, uh, any, any elderly folks who need help with groceries, we're one of the hotlines for that. And there's going to be a lot of more things, I think, over the next couple of weeks coming through that we can help uh, be pieces put together to make a difference in this world. Well, we do continue with the second week uh, this morning. And uh, as, we, as we unpack that, I'm going to walk back, actually, in my life to, to seventh grade. Uh, I didn't like seventh grade. Uh, in fact, uh, it's probably one of the reasons why I have such a heart for middle school ministry or youth ministry in general, why at the Valley Church we make it such a big deal. Uh, for me, middle school just kind of felt awkward, seventh grade in particular, uh, where I just didn't really feel like I, I fit in at all. And then to add insult to injury, there was a group of kids in our school, kind of the popular kids, who came up with this concept of if you got kicked out of class, you could be in this cool club. And now I know it's seventh grade, so just hang with me. It's the stupidest thing ever, but let's be honest, when we're 12 and 13 years old, we're not always making rash decisions. And so they came up with this thing called the Hall Posse. And to become part of the Hall Posse, you had to get kicked out of class. And every time someone got kicked out of class, they became part of this group. Now, it seems like something minor or whatever, but for me, I felt rejected. I hadn't been kicked out of class. In fact, uh, the biggest reason I was unwilling to get kicked out of class was not of what trouble I would get in at the school, that would be so minuscule to uh, the punishment coming down or frankly just the disappointment from mom and dad at home. And so believe it or not, this continued on for a couple months and you know, as the days unfolded, the weeks unfolded, more people kind of got a part of it and I don't know how many, it's, you know, ended up being maybe 40 or 50. But for me, it, it actually was one of those things, I'm you know, 41 now and I still remember it, uh, became one of those defining things of feeling rejected. Um, not feeling like I fit in, not feeling like I was part of the cool crowd, if you will. And my question to you to start this morning is, have you ever faced rejection? Do you know what it feels like to be rejected? I'm not talking about something somewhat trivial uh, as a hall posse, although middle schoolers and high school and even elementary who are watching this morning 
Uh, you're facing rejection a lot of different ways through social media or through maybe who's sitting at what table at lunch. And so it is a real deal for you. But you adults who are watching, have you been rejected uh, by a mom and dad or dad? Someone who you thought would be the person you could truly count on, but they rejected you. Some of you watching this morning were rejected by a spouse. One day they came up to you and said, I, I just don't love you anymore. Um, this marriage isn't what I wanted, and they, they walk out and leave. Others of you have uh, been rejected because of just who you are. Some of you have been rejected because of your skin color, your nationality, uh, maybe your weight. I mean, a lot of different reasons that you might have been rejected. Some of you rejected because uh, you weren't smart enough, you weren't talented enough, um, you weren't athletic enough. I think all of us, at some point in our life, feel the pain of rejection. It's one of those things that even though you might be 80 years old now, you can remember the rejection that you experienced as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. And so I share that to say we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today as we continue on this second journey that has to do with this. So if you want to join along, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23. Uh, and just as you're finding that or pulling it up on your app on your phone, um, just to kind of backtrack to where we were last week, we were with the beggar, and the beggar encounter happened in Jericho. Now, Jericho was about 16 miles away from Jerusalem. And this kind of started, if you want a picture, if you like timelines of, of the Holy Week, if you will, this would have happened a few days before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we know is Palm Sunday, which will be next Sunday. But then like Monday through uh, Wednesday, Jesus spent a lot of time in Jerusalem kind of debating the, uh, the pastors of the day, the, the religious leaders and that. And then most believe then he would go back to Bethany and possibly stay at the home of Lazarus. So those three days he bounced back and forth. On Thursday then, the Thursday before what we celebrate as Easter, uh, he had the Last Supper, as we well know it, which we're going to celebrate communion next week. Uh, and then at about three in the morning is when Judas betrayed him and he was taken into custody. And then he went to Anna and um, Caiaphas, the high priest, and they were put him on trial. And then from there, he goes to Pilate, which is where we're going to pick up today. And this is about 5 a.m. in the morning. It says, then the whole assembly rose and led him off, being Jesus, off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes taxes of C to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and he has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. So picture this, Herod, uh, Pilate's at his house, gets a pounding on the door at about 5 a.m. There's a huge crowd out there. Jesus appears, and he starts questioning him during this time. They actually come up with three charges against Jesus. The first charge was that he's stirring up a rebellion. And then he says he's not buying into the tax system. He's kind of cheating on taxes, opposing taxation by Rome. And then third, because he's like, well, that wasn't really working with Pilate. He's like, well, he claims to be a king. And that's kind of the one that stuck a little bit with Pilate. So he leans into that. And as he's talking to Jesus and even the other three gospels, unpack, share this a little more. 
he finds this guy's no threat. Uh, these people have a vendetta against him for some reason. But then he finds his out. Pilate finds his out. His out is, oh, he's from Galilee? And just like today where you have different jurisdiction uh, when it comes to the legal system, well, he was in a different jurisdiction, so he's like, perfect. And he, so he had his out. He's like, you need to go back to Herod in Galilee. Well, then he lucked out too that it was the Passover, so Herod was already in Jerusalem where Pilate was, and so it was an easy kind of escape for Pilate to just send Jesus on over to another person. So then we pick up his encounter with Herod in verse 8. It says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a miracle or a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. And then that day, Herod and Pilate became friends because before this, they had been enemies. There's a whole sermon just on that last verse. But to know this, Herod, of course, was in the jurisdiction over Galilee. But what's also neat to know about Herod's kind of background is this guy was kind of a bad dude. In fact, he had an affair with his brother's wife, Herodias, who he married. Now, if you're familiar with some of the gospel accounts, you might remember the name Herodias. She is the lady who decides that she wants the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so there's a long story to that, but essentially she gets her wish. So she's a pretty bad person. Herod's not the greatest. And actually, he's wanting to see Jesus all the time because he's just interested in seeing if the guy can do some stunt or miracle to kind of make him feel better about himself. And so that's what's going on. So you have an encounter with Pilate, and Pilate realizes, oh, I can get him out of here, sends him over. Herod, then, who's not a very good dude, says, well, no, uh, I don't have any jurisdiction over him too. So then he sends him back to Pilate, which we pick up in verse 13. It says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the rebellion, people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. And it says here, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to him again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one who they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. So real quick thing on that. Barabbas wasn't just like some guy who had like, got into a fight or whatever. He was the equivalent of a modern-day terrorist. Uh, it would have been the equivalent if he were still alive, Bin Laden, Osama bin Laden was still alive. It would have been the equivalent of us saying, well, a release bin Laden, uh, he's okay to bring him back into society. It shows the amount of anger directed to Christ. Now, as I was reading this and unpacking this and just thinking about this, here's what jumped out at me, and that's what I want to lean on into this morning. He had four encounters, he had four people that he really spent encounters with here. You had Pilate, 
You had Herod, who was a Roman. You had the, the crowds uh, of the Jews, and then you had the religious leaders. And the universal thing with all four of them was that they rejected Jesus. They rejected that he was the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to have the passage on the screen, but immediately as I was reflecting on that and seeing that, that, and it dawned on me, Jesus was rejected like none other by everyone. And actually, you can look at other passages where his own disciples even rejected him. It immediately brought back to mind a passage in Luke that you're going to be reading in your Bible app here shortly, and I encourage you Uh, We have that 21-day Luke plan that we've put out on social media. We'll put it out again this morning or even as you're watching live. Uh, And it's in Luke 7, uh, and I'll tell it in a narrative form here. But essentially, Jesus is invited to a uh, Pharisee's house. And he gets into the house, and the Pharisee doesn't greet him at all. See, in in that custom, he should have kissed his hand because he was a priest He should have washed his feet because feet were pretty dirty in that culture. Think about dirt roads, animals on dirt roads, animals doing their thing on dirt roads, people walking, you're getting the point, right? And then he should have anointed his head with oil. Now, the point of anointing his head with oil was that it would uh, um, make it smell better. They didn't have deodorant at that time, and they'd all be leaning at at a table. And so picture this, he comes in, they're reclining at a table, they would have eaten in that culture laying on their side, on their stomach, on their side, with their feet behind them. And the text tells us all of a sudden this this lady shows up. And this lady, and it's very clear, she's a prostitute. She's a sinful lady. And she comes to Jesus. And she comes to his feet. See, this is a lady who's been rejected her entire life. But she realizes she's in the presence of someone special. Even in her sin, Even in her messed up life, she sees that she's a daughter of the king and not a reject. She realizes that she might have the only opportunity ever to receive grace, a do-over, a second chance. And so as the story continues about this rejected lady in society, this one who had a a stigma with, with her, everyone knew, she goes to his feet. And the scripture continues, says that she started kissing his feet. And I think as it dawned on her, the, the power of everything happening in that moment, and as she locked eyes with Jesus, and she, she saw that she could receive grace. She could receive forgiveness. She could receive mercy. The, t- the, the Bible says tears just started streaming down and wet, her, wet his feet. And then she does something that would have shocked everyone. She lets her hair down which women never did that in public. It was a disgraceful thing. Actually, they could, if they did that, it's grounds for divorce in that culture. And she wipes his feet, her, his tear-soaked feet with her hair. And then she does something really unique. She takes a, a, says a flask of perfume. Uh, she wore that around her neck. Now, it wasn't the perfume that we would say, think of perfume. It was actually more of a mouthwash. And she uses that uh, that she would have used to sweeten her breath, even as, uh, as a possible perfume too. And in her line of work, to be honest, it's something that she would have used for those purposes. But she takes that and she pours it out and anoints him with that. Now, there's incredible symbolism to that. When she does this, listen to this, folks, as you're listening this morning. When she pours out the perfume on Jesus, she's essentially saying, I'm not going the back to who I was. There's no turning back. 
the person I was before, that person is over. And in a moment, in a moment of pure gratitude, she essentially pours out her life to Christ. And I got thinking about that. I got thinking about that for myself when it comes to forgiveness, God's forgiveness in my life, and when it comes to his grace that I've experienced, and when it comes to his mercy. I think that's our response too, for those of you listening this morning who've experienced Christ's forgiveness in your life. You want to give your whole life back to him. You want to pour out everything that was your past. You want to empty that. You don't want to go back to the garbage pile. See, when we see the depth of our darkness and the sin, and we see that for what it is, and then we hear God's call of mercy and forgiveness and grace and redemption and restoration and reconciliation, we run to Jesus. We're like this lady. Those of us who before were rejected, felt like God would never accept us for who we are, never accept us for what we've done. When we've had an encounter with the living Jesus, it changes everything for us. I came across this illustration I'm going to read to you as we bring this to an end this morning. It's about Susie and her rag dome. Susie was a little girl. Her father traveled around the world with his job. Every day he came home from his travels, every time he came home from his travels, he would bring his daughter Susie, who was eight years old, a new doll. See, she had accumulated one of the most incredible doll collections anyone has ever seen. She had dolls from China, Africa, Australia, and all kinds of other awesome places. One night, a business associate came over to the house and they had dinner. After they ate, the father proudly walked him upstairs to show off Susie's doll collection. This visitor stood in all of all the, uh, in the glass cases of all these dolls. There are hundreds of dolls. And he said to Susie, Susie, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. You have a true treasure chest. To which he asked, well, Susie, which one is your favorite doll of all these? Susie didn't hesitate. She went to her closet, reached down into a bucket, and pulled out a doll. The doll was beat up. It was missing an eye. The arm was chewed up. The hair is ratty. And she said, this is my very favorite doll. The visitor looked around the room once more and said, you have to be kidding me. This can't be your favorite doll. To which Susie said, said this is my favorite doll. Well, why is it your favorite doll? She said, because I didn't love this doll. If I didn't love this doll, no one else would. If I did not love this doll, no one else would. Ladies and gentlemen, teens, kids, that's grace. Grace is being loved in our beat up, chewed up, rattiness. So I have two questions as we close this morning. The first is this. When Jesus looks at you, what do you think he sees? See, some of you think, because you know, you know your thought life, you know the things you've done in the past, you know the things that you were supposed to do and didn't do in the past. And I think a lot of you look at your life and look at how Jesus would look at you and think he would reject you. You don't see any way that Jesus would ever accept you. You know yourself. 
You're like, there's no way he would reject me. And the second question is this. Every single person on this world, who's ever been on this world, whoever be on this world, has to ask this, answer this question. Will you accept or will you reject Jesus? See, I asked the first question because I think for some people, the reason that they never give their life to Christ is they never feel that they're going to be worthy to accept his forgiveness. They, you just don't. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's a lie from Satan. There's nothing, the Bible tells us, there's nothing that will ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. He didn't go on, on a cross, as we're talking about during this series, he didn't go on a cross and die an innocent death just for certain people. He died it for us who are messed up, who are missing an eye, who are, who are ratty and, and have chew, chew marks and who are just have a, a, a past, past that maybe is not something we're proud of. And I asked the second question because you have to make that decision. Are you going to accept or are you going to reject Jesus? There's no middle ground, ladies and gentlemen. There's no middle ground. You're going to look at what Jesus did and realize that he was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. Even historians who lived at that time will tell you, this guy lived, he did everything they said he did. He died on a cross and he was brought back from the grave, which proves all the prophecy that he truly was the Messiah. But what are you going to do with him? Are you going to continue to live your own life and continue to be your own general manager of the universe, if you will? Or are you going to surrender your life? Now, surrender doesn't mean give up in this term. Surrender means to give over. Are you willing to give over your life? So as you're watching this morning, I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. Today could be the day in the midst of all the craziness going on in this world, all in the midst of some of the fear and some of the, the hardship, and I know and we're praying for you that are going through so many difficult times right now. Today could be the day that you make a decision that affects your life here on earth and will affect your life for all eternity. Will you accept Christ today? Let's pray. Father, I pray for all those who are, are watching this morning all around the, the world, possibly. And as this has sunk in, as we look at Jesus' encounter with the four different groups of people, and that he experienced incredible rejection. And then we look at this lady who, by all accounts, everyone considered a rejected part of society. But then when she had an encounter with Jesus Christ and locked eyes with him and had a chance to experience his mercy and his grace and what he could offer her, she accepted. So God, I pray for anyone this morning, if that's you, if you realize you've been running away from God, you've been living life on your own, you don't have peace, you don't have purpose, you don't, you've never experienced forgiveness, you don't have hope in your life, would you make the decision to quit running today? Would you simply say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I've been living in rebellion. I've been living without you in my life. I, I think I can do this on my own, but the reality is <laughs> I can't. 
Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? And would you come in and be the leader of my life? Others of us today are still trying to process this rejection, feeling that what we've done in the past, there's no way. There's no way God will ever forgive me for what I've done. I pray today, first of all, that the lies that you're believing will be silenced. That as you're diving into God's word, if you're diving into the book of Luke during these next three weeks, that you would only hear God's voice who's saying, I know, and I still love you, and I like you, and I want to extend forgiveness to you if you choose to accept it. God, all throughout this region, as people are making decisions this morning, as people are reevaluating things, God, I pray that they would lean into you like no other. And I pray that they would have encounter after encounter with the living Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.